Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 20th, 2021. As you may have noticed, we did not podcast yesterday. I think our first uh, missing uh, ordinary daily podcast uh, for more than a year. We had some technical difficulties and scheduling difficulties, and so we were not here for you yesterday, but we are here for you today. And before we get to the show... Let me just commend to you the June issue of Commentary up at CommentaryMagazine.com right now with an amazing cover story by Jim Meggs called Thank God for Big Pharma. We have our own Christine Rosen on the reality distortion field of uh, in which media focus on tiny slivers of politically correct populations to and politically correct issues to um, highlight them and to distort their meaning. Um, Matt Continetti on uh, on the downgrading of Obama in the effort to uh, lift up Biden. Um, we have a beautiful piece by Mira Soloveitchik called Giddish is a Language of Faith. Uh, our own Noah Rothman, Joe Biden culture warrior. Casey Johnson, will Biden bring back the campus star chambers? The answer, of course, being yes. Uh, uh, Chris Steyerwalt, a late of Fox News, now of the dispatch and AEI. Republicans, stop believing your own election myth. High turnout does not favor Democrats. Rick Marin on the Roth biography scandal. Joseph Epstein on Rome wasn't murdered in a day. Terry Teachout on Nat King Cole and Rob Long on the amazing story of Carol Burnett and Wonder Woman star Lyle Wagoner and how he became a star in show business, how this happened, not as a star, but as a as a man who revolutionized the trailer, the star trailer business. And finally, Jonathan Shanzer, The War Between the Wars heats up, a piece about what is going on in Gaza. So maybe we'll start with Gaza very quickly. Uh, we being uh, associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. So if you are reading the press, you get the sense that there is unbelievable pressure on the Israelis to uh, stop doing what they're doing, to find a ceasefire. Patience is wearing thin. Biden is yelling at Bibi. Um, I don't know. Uh, Abe, you you don't know either. Well, yeah, I I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I guess I, it's it's it seems um, flip to say uh, you're pleasantly surprised about anything um, that has to do with this, but but the truth is, um, yeah, uh, the the degree of perhaps we should call it restraint. Um, restraint is the wrong word. Um, but the, the, that the Biden administration has shown um, at least restraint in not giving in to this sort of um, further left, more activist uh, uh, aspects of the administration and, and of, uh, of uh, some of its supporters um, um, in not really going after Israel at all here. And in fact, um, affirming more than once Israel's right um, to to def- to self defense here, um, I think is 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 a good sign and 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 needs to be um, noted. Uh, there's been some effort, I think, to try to um, in the press to talk about um, pressure, John, as you say, 
um, building on Israel from from Biden. Um, and it seems as if they're trying to drum up um, something that's not quite there. Um, particularly, this struck me. Um, I, I was thinking about yesterday about how, in addition to not hearing um, much criticism uh, of Israel from the uh, Arab countries that are um, party to the Abraham Accords, it occurred to me yesterday that we haven't heard much condemnation out of Europe, which is a, a surprising thing. Um, European leaders normally quick to criticize Israel when there's any sort of uh, military action. And uh, sort of just as I was thinking that, uh, John, you pointed out this article in the New York Times um, that really tried to kind of make at pull out of thin air the idea that Europe was pressuring the U.S. to pressure Bibi uh, to for a ceasefire in Israel. And as you have pointed out in previous podcasts, everyone wants to see a ceasefire. Um, that is not that is not any sort of condemnation of, of Israeli action. And in fact, the piece itself had to, uh, was obligated to note that uh, uh, Angela Merkel, for example, spoke to Netanyahu by phone and uh, reaffirmed Israel's right to, to, to defend itself and um, uh, indicated some uh, solidarity with, with, with Israel in doing so. We actually have a visit to Israel by both the Czech and Slovak foreign ministers to express support for Israel in the war uh, with Hamas. When 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 has that ever happened? That there was actually a solidarity. There there were solidarity visits with Israel from American politicians. There have been you know for thirty years. David Dinkins of all people, the mayor of New York, actually went to Israel during the first Gulf War uh, when the Scuds were uh, flying over. Uh, from Saddam Hussein uh, into the Holy Land. Uh, but uh, a solidarity visit, you know, with rockets flying uh, from uh, from Central European foreign ministers, that's, that's, that, that's, that's pretty striking. The piece itself that we were talking about in the New York Times kind of says Europeans don't like Israel, and so there's pressure, meaning not the governments, but populations and intellectuals and so there's pressure there's a whole lot of pressure what is going on now is not pressure of the sort that we have seen in previous hostilities and it is very striking again that can change on a dime and we do have a new kind of pressure going on we have i think it's a majority of house members uh in the in the democratic caucus uh, voting for some that the Biden administration should direct BB to a ceasefire. We have efforts to um, have some kind of hearing in the House Foreign Affairs Committee uh, about a, a private weapons sale to, to Israel uh, approved by the U.S. government, a $735 million arms sale, uh, which is a commercial sale. It's not a technology transfer from the U.S. military to, to Israel. Um, we have, you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, late of uh, late of being a moron, um, running his idiot campaign for president. Um, I have serious concerns about the timing of this weapon sale, the message it will send to Israel. This is new to have the Democratic caucus in the House so um, a majority of the members essentially lining up against Israel. 
That's news, something we've been warning about for a decade or more about the Democratic turn against Israel, and it is really here. Um, and uh, it, this is something that you know everybody is going to have to take note of because it's not just the squad has has you know opened the Overton window. You have the you know out out and out anti Semites in the squad: Omar, Talib, Presley, Corey Bush, and I have to say, I believe Alexandria Ocasio Cortez are all pushing and so because they are pushing way far to the left they are kind of pulling the center to the left and and providing this kind of weird both pressure on the Biden administration and a window for the Biden administration to solidify the sense among pro-Israel Democrats of whom there are more than there are anti-Israel Democrats that that he is not giving in to them at least not now Noah Well, yeah. I mean, as I said in the previous podcast, <clears throat> there's no poll that I'm familiar with that suggests more Democrats favor the Palestinian cause in this conflict or generally than favor Israel. That being said, the trajectory is moving in the direction of uh, more support for the Palestinian causes as progressivism supplants liberalism, classical or otherwise, as the Democratic Party's guiding ideological star. Um, but in that sense, you know, Joe Biden is sort of walking a tightrope politically, domestically, um, even as the conditions that would have previously uh, led Democrats to be much more um, aggressive in imposing their interests on on Israel have disappeared. So we we can only say that he's responding insofar as he's responding at all to domestic political concerns, not geopolitical concerns, not geopolitical interests. Because America's geopolitical interest at this stage is really very much to to neuter Hamas. There's almost nothing that compels us at this point um, to mollycoddle the territories, uh, particularly in Gaza, um, with the exception of the pursuit of an Iran deal. Well, and that seems to be the linchpin. Well, so the key here is that uh, that we are in a perverse situation in which the reason that we are told we need to do this is humanitarian. That is that Israel mistreats the Palestinians and the Palestinians are in this horrible, wretched condition. I mean, I I watched Richard Engel this morning on the Today Show on NBC uh, talk about how uh, there is a humanitarian catastrophe going on in Gaza and Israel won't let anybody out. Okay, there's a war going on. The war is going on because Gaza is firing rockets at Israel and Israel... So what? So Israel is supposed to open the border to allow Gazans to come into Israel to flee Israel's response to Gaza's own rockets being fired on Israel. Like any country in the history of the world would allow combatants from the other side to cross their border to act pretend to be refugees. That is insane, and this is Two literally days ago. yeah. Two days ago, Hamas rockets targeted the uh, Israeli-Gaza border crossing directly. Yeah. And they have tunnels. They have tunnels along oh, the border yeah. already that, yeah. they've, that, that the Israeli army has been trying to destroy. I One mean, of those rockets hit an aid convoy. Yeah. I mean, it, so 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 uh, Engel says, okay, well, you know what? There's a the talk of a ceasefire, and they're not there yet, but here's how it would work. 
uh, Israel, what Hamas wants is for Israel to stop bombing its sites and creating this humanitarian catastrophe. What Israel wants is for Hamas to stop firing rockets. This is not a parallel. If Hamas stops firing rockets, Israel stops dropping bombs. Now, that is, by the way, not necessarily what the Israeli populace would like. A great, a, a large segment of the Israeli populace wants Israel to go into Gaza and extirpate the weapons caches, is actually willing to uh, commit the country to a long siege in order to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And that is almost certainly not going to happen, which should give you a sense of how calibrated the Israeli response is. It's the opposite of indiscriminate. If it were indiscriminate, they wouldn't drop knock-knock bombs on buildings to say, you know what, you really should get out of here before we blow up this Hamas intelligence site. And Israel makes phone calls to landlords of buildings to say, get everybody out of the building because we're going to blow... That is discrimination. That is targeting. That is doing whatever you can to minimize casualties. And let's talk about the minimization of casualties. We have urban warfare going on with bombs dropping. 220 Palestinians have died in 11 days. Do you want to do the math of a war in which people living in the third most densely populated place on the planet Earth, that is the Gaza Strip, the third most densely populated place in uh, on the planet Earth, 211 people, 230 people have died, however, however many it is, in 11 days of fighting. That is the definition of discriminating, pinpoint, targeted, humanitarian bombing. But but the but I do think I think that's right. But I do think there's there's a point at which and I and I will uh, say the Biden administration at some point is going to have to push back on its left flank over this. The the progressives uh, of the squad and one of whom, of course, sits on the House Foreign Relations Committee, right, Elon Omar, they are not getting they're not being held to account for the narrative that they have created, which has become very appealing to a lot of left wing activists who might otherwise not pay attention to the Middle East. And that's the the humanitarian uh, argument that they're making. They made it on the floor of the House last week. They're making it in media appearances. They're just there are all these rallies where they're talking about it. They never mention Hamas. Never. The word Hamas does not leave their mouths. And that is unacceptable from the media standpoint to cover these people as if they're just so, oh, they just care about the Palestinian people. Really? Then why don't they talk about the terrorist group that's terrorizing the people who live in Gaza as well? They're, they're, they just don't. There's no um, the media's coverage of this, I think, is, has been very poor, as it always has been. And also the coverage of the fact that we're seeing waves of anti-Semitic violence here in the U.S., in places like London, um, in Western cities, you're seeing Jews targeted and harassed by Palestinian activists. And it has- briefly, briefly yeah. before we get to that, um, Bernie Sanders will introduce a measure today that will that is designed and will fail is designed to block America's sale of precision guided weaponry to Israel. Um, the progressive side of the ledger here is very antagonistic towards uh, Iron Dome and its interceptor missiles, all of which are defensive technologies, um, which suggests that the notion here that they just want less indiscriminate force is trash. 
because these these are the means by which we de-escalate this situation. If more these four thousand rockets have been fired at Israel, very few have made it through Iron Dome, but some have, and they produce casualties. If those rockets were landing at the rates at which they were firing, the, the response from Israel would be far more drastic, far more severe. And that seems to be what they what they want, or at least you know what the the final outcome of their policy preferences would be. Right. More rockets have been fired at Israel in the last eleven days than were fired in the six weeks of the Gaza Hamas uh, Israel war in twenty fourteen. Just to keep that in mind, there's a total of about forty five hundred rockets were fired by Hamas in twenty fourteen. More than four thousand have been fired as of today, since a week ago Monday. So let's just put that. In perspective, not only as a mark of how miraculously successful Iron Dome is in aggregate, but also, as you say, Noah, Iron Dome is saving Iron Dome is saving tens of thousands of Palestinian lives because because Israel is not suffering the effect of the of the missiles firing, it does not have to go in on the ground and take out the missile sites because it is able to shoot them down from the air. And so uh, if there were a ground conflict where you had to go house to house, building to building to extirpate these things, God knows what would happen. God only knows what would happen. Now let's talk about the anti-Semitic waves of violence we have. And and by the way, they're taking on a form that we have seen over the last year. It is this bizarre thing. Someone sitting at a restaurant uh, and a mob comes down the street, starts yelling Jews, and like throws things or hits somebody on the head. It's like the diners in D.C., uh, Black Lives Matter behavior, Antifa behavior. It is all being reprogrammed and repurposed for these cases. And let's talk about what they mean. You're talking about people sitting on a street in Los Angeles who are, in essence, being targeted for the behavior of a country 9,000 miles from them uh, that uh, it is presumed they support or they are the, you know, they are somehow the proxies of. Um, This is going on in New York. Someone was attacked at a bagel shop. Uh, You know, uh, we've seen this. London, uh, Toronto, uh, where... um, a rabbi was beaten up. People are beat. There was a pro-Israel rally and Palestinian pro-Palestinian activists came and conducted themselves violently against the crowd. This is the um, escalation of violence by the left uh, uh, is, you know, in, in attacking people for being symbolic representatives of Israel. This is classic, Anti-Semitic. This is the. This is if you want to know what a hate crime is. This is what a hate crime is. And yeah, where is um, you know uh, why isn't Joe? I mean, I, I, I again, I am. I think Joe Biden um, does not deserve to be attacked for his behavior so far. It would be really nice if he got up and gave a speech and said, "I'm seeing disgusting anti-Semitic violence, and it sickens and you know sickens the soul and breaks the heart and you know needs to be stopped it, it would it would take very little it would be well and can i i'm going to interrupt 
I'm yeah. going to interrupt to say he should. He did that for the anti-Asian violence, didn't he? He certainly did yes. it for the for for uh, you know Black Lives Matter type stuff. And who is the uh, hate crimes uh, statistics are very clear about the group most often targeted for hate crimes: Jews. Right. Right. Year after year, year over year, yeah. and the fact that he's deliberately not saying that I think is telling well, of his administration. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know that it's 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 it, it's deliberate. We don't really know what what the internal you know pressures and stuff is. And you might not want to ratchet it up. You like you might not in a weird way. You might say highlighting it would actually conceivably cause more of it to happen. I don't know. But what I will say, is, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, but I think we have to mention here that it is also the the these attacks, these uh, street level attacks, are I think also part of a result of um, tying uh, the Israeli uh, the Israel Palestinian conflict to things like Black Lives Matter, because it was it was the sort of mob violence um, of that cause that we saw um, a year ago um, in in city after city. Right. And we have to say again, said on the last podcast, I'll say it again. More than 50 percent of the population of Israel uh, is Sephardic or Sephardic Jews, meaning they come from North Africa and Asia Minor, primarily, um, often uh, with a darker skin hue than European Jews. And uh, and the idea that they are white and that they are oppressors of uh, brown people, they are brown people. Guess what? Jews can be brown people. In fact, the majority of Jews in Israel would co- would be considered brown people in, in the United States. So Black Lives Matter, once again, lies uh, this this uh, Palestinian propagandistic this the, the, these these propagandizers about Palestinians lie, uh, distort, uh, defame, um, and basically uh, uh, basically are uh, acquiesce in what you might call philosophical genocide. Like what they are saying is, and we saw this yesterday bizarrely in the behavior of the New Yorker magazine's union tweeting out that they are in solidarity with the idea that Palestine should go from the river to the sea. That means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, one Palestine, it shall be free. Uh, that is the elimination of Israel. That is the that is the doctrine of the elimination of Israel. And then they tweeted out a like a retraction of this, pointing out not that that's wrong, but that statements like that are a distraction from their just cause. <laughs> it wasn't, oops, we did a genocide. It yeah, was, right. oh, well, sorry if you were distracted yeah, by distracted. our promotion yeah. of genocide. Exactly. Um, hey, guys, uh, just want to talk to you about our uh, client, one of our one of our sponsors today, uh, Trust and Will. Because, uh, you know, many of you uh, are just starting out, buying a home, having babies, building wealth. So be sure to add securing your family's future to your to-do list by establishing a will or trust at trustandwill.com. At trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your home. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can cost thousands, and using a one-size-fits-all template is not nearly specialized enough. 
Trust and Will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan. Trust and Will is the most trusted name in online estate planning, the category leader on Trustpilot, and they've helped thousands, hundreds of thousands of people protect their families, assets, and legacy. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash commentary and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash commentary. Trustandwill.com slash commentary. So uh, the House uh, has voted to establish a commission to uh, report on the causes, uh, underlying factors, and uh, and what happened uh, in the... Um, uh, insurrection on January 6th at the Capitol, and it, it was the considered opinion of the leadership of the House, uh, absent Liz Cheney's presence now, uh, having been ousted, um, that uh, Republicans should not support this commission. Uh, 35 Republicans out of the 212, I think, uh, in the House did, in fact, vote for the commission. Uh, Mitch McConnell has now come out against the creation of this commission. It should be said that Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, uh, tasked uh, Congressman John Katko with negotiating over the terms of the commission. The original terms, as laid out by Nancy Pelosi, were uh, very uh, lopsided in partisan terms. It was going to be seven Republicans, seven Democrats to four Republicans, and Republicans weren't going to have subpoena power and all kinds of stuff. And Katko negotiated what appears to be a very, very equalized circumstance in which uh, subpoenas have to be agreed to, to by both sides and everyone can interview and no one there, there aren't going to be separate democratic investigators and stuff like that. And he, he negotiated this, they agreed to it and McCarthy came out against it anyway. Guess why? So let me ask you, let me play devil's advocate and say this and now, and now, and now McConnell is against it. Why? Because of course the results are going to be that it's going to be a commission that shows that Donald Trump, uh, you know, played at least a, um, uh, uh, I know what you would call it, like a not the uh, organizing role, but the but the uh, uh, accelerant, accelerant, <laughs> right? Exactly, and and that and that uh, you know everybody who was involved in the you know in the injuries that were suffered to you know the 140 uh, Capitol policemen injured and all of that uh, were uh, you know that it's not going to be possible really to to say that you know both sides did terrible things that day um, because there were, you know, or that outside agitators were there trying to stir up and, and Tifa was secretly in the crowd trying to stir it up. That's almost certainly a lie. And, you know, they will probably, they can investigate it and show that it's a lie. So there are only going to be, there's only going to be one source of villainy and that's the kind of alt-right uh, or, or the people who came to Washington and got caught up in this horrible collective effervescence. Having said that, uh, Eric Nelson, my friend, the publisher, uh, asked on Twitter, think, trying to think this through. What, what are we going to learn from a, from a one six commission? What are we going to learn that we don't already know? Hundreds of people have been arrested. People are being charged. People are being released. You know, it's not as though, uh, you know, there's, there's been enormous amount of press attention given to this people looking through, you know, Reddit, and whatever to see what, how it was organized and all that. What are they going to find out? Is this going to help? 
uh, our future and, you know, American understanding, or is it just going to be a sort of data point in the hyper-partisanship that has uh, overtaken the country and will continue to overtake the country? Well, we still don't know what the president was doing in the time frame between the uh, request for a National Guard deployment and their deployment, um, which was just shy of three hours, uh, very crucial three hours, uh, when a lot of damage was done and a lot of people could have been murdered. Um, And in the interim, uh, we've found out basically that a lot of people were asking for these deployments. A lot of people were very confused as to why they weren't coming. Um, we, we know that the Pentagon intervened um, and that there was a lot of ruminating about the Pentagon. And it went all the way up to the to the uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Defense. And we don't know what the president was doing in that period. And yeah, knowing that is pretty much the, the linchpin of this story. And pretending that we don't need to know that because, you know, it's ancient history uh, just strikes me as, as uh, disingenuous. Well, isn't it also going to possibly prove that people like uh, Kevin McCarthy and others who are now trying to downplay what happened on, on January 6th might, in the uh, testimony of those who witnessed their behavior on that day, be proven to have been quite concerned and or fearful of their lives? And it will undermine this attempt to sort of memory hole what happened there or to rewrite the the story of what happened there i mean it's a huge i think it's a huge mistake on the part of republicans to to not but, have this commission but don't we know that anyway we know that kevin mccarthy said you know we'll never forget this day and it was terrible and you know you can't do this and we know coming out matter we know that will, we know that Mitch McConnell said Donald Trump is responsible or partly responsible yeah everything that's on the record is is on the record okay. it would be a mistake to 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 gin up that, to, to rest on that, to, to make that a banner and say, this is, you know, remember this. I and mean, that's, that would be a, a flawed approach to, to this investigation. If it is an investigation, it needs to determine definitively what the president knew and when he knew it. How, how uh, okay, it let, could, go ahead. Hey. It, but it could backfire. Um, not in the sense that uh, they will uncover anything um, exculpatory. Um, I don't think that uh, will happen, but um, in the sense that they may not uncover much or anything new. I mean, we already had a um, uh, an impeachment trial that where we would have been the time to specifically have found out what um, Trump did in the in the interim uh, between the request yeah, for national president. Whatever but, happened to that? What exactly? What, what so, was, so what but, was the thing that was going to happen so we could actually get to the bottom of that that didn't? Remember. But it was the Democrats, 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 Democrats didn't right, call exactly witnesses. Right. They refused to call the witnesses. Right. right. So, yeah. but. But so if if we come to this with little uh, new understanding, then the entire project looks looks like overkill. Um, I'm not saying it, it's it, that's what it will be from the start, but that could happen. And, and then that it, when that happens, um, it sort of minimizes um, the real impact of of January 6th in people's mind. I mean, I, it strikes me that first of all, it will be very difficult to get what Noah, what you are talking about on the record. Like they may have subpoena power. They may not. Executive privilege does not end with the end of an administration. You can't force somebody to say, you know, you can't, you, uh, you literally executive privilege. Trump can be indicted for, you know, crimes after he's left office, but um, Congress does not have the right to compel necessarily i mean this is we don't know because these things will go through court challenges and stuff but 
you know, they can call Jared Kushner or they can call, I don't know who, to testify. And he can say he will refuse to answer the questions on the grounds that, uh, you know, Congress doesn't have this was a uh, this was, things were going on inside the White House. Congress's reach does not extend to the White House. And what the president was doing is none of their business. And th- then you would have this other question, which is, you know, will Christopher Miller, who I guess was the sitting secretary of defense, will he be honest or will he also say, I can't say what I heard or what I didn't hear from the president? And what will Mike Pence do? Uh, you know, Mike Pence, who was who was there in the Capitol and who had a lynch mob coming after him, will he will his future interests, you know, mean that he will somehow refuse to test it? You could get a case in which the case, the argument is going to be Republicans are so awful, they won't testify, they won't share information. And they'll say, A, we're not doing it because of executive privilege. And B, we're not going to participate in your effort to discredit our party. Now, Maybe that's bad. Maybe that's a terrible thing to say because the public needs to know we need to establish this so it never happens again and all that. I agree with that in in theory. In practice, I think this could end up being a you know a, a, a disaster uh, that that hastens where uh, where you have grandstanding Democrats. Look, what happened was bad enough. I mean, it was. I, I don't mean those. It was, it was, it was bad. Trump should have been impeached and should have been, you know, there should have been a vote to remove him from office. We've said that from the get-go. I see no difference. And just because there is an effort to be amnesiacal or however you would, just, you know, to, to go amnesiac over this um, uh, because Republican, you know, the Republican grassroots or the Republican kind of like uh, interest groups still like Trump and they, and they don't want uh, to give Democrats grounds to attack him, all of that. Uh, you're you're just you're just hastening a kind of barbaric divide where you're going to have uh, Democrats in the media, you know, sort of frothing at the mouth in rage about the evils of the Republican Party, and that is only going to harden the Republican Party in the sense of like. Who are the? I'm not going to get lectured to by Eric Swalwell when he's like screwing a Chinese agent. I'm sorry. How is that not fair play? Which are Demo- are, are Democrats supposed to to just you know coddle Republicans as they embrace Donald Trump and try to re- re- revise the narrative and events of, no. of history? Are they, because they're afraid that maybe the no, Republican Party will get even more extreme? No, no it, it would be best practice What to to, hi- to highlight That's and accelerate political. and accentuate the tension. That's political. And, that, and you're describing politics. No, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting be... your premise, okay. John, and your premise is that this is entirely political. So let's accept that it's entirely political. I don't agree. But let's accept that this is entirely political. Is. That's right. fair play. It would be best practice for Democrats to say, okay, Republicans, you want to be the party of Trump? Here you go. I agree with that. But no, I'm not saying this. But I'm saying that they can take something in which they have the moral upper hand and it can crumble into dust. I mean, I mean, it is not. It is not. Poli- it is just fa- facially not political. You had a bipartisan vote for witnesses. You had a bipartisan vote for this convention. A bipartisan vote that was shockingly broad. It is just simply not a partisan charade, and the e- efforts to make it so defy logic and reason and force you to no, retreat no, into, into, no, no. into an illogical conception of what Republican politics is today. I, 35 defectors against defying whipping efforts is a big deal. Okay, wait. 
that's the establishment of the commission. And if CATCO is right and the rules are the rules and Republicans participate in the same way as and all that, uh, then maybe the commission can rise above politics, which is why you have the commissions. It, the idea is actually <clears throat> to somehow lift this from the realm of the nakedly partisan and political and create some kind of a narrative on which we can agree that establishes definitively what we would have called in the old uh, researcher days at, at the news magazines, a red check, a hard red check, that this is what happened at 1154. This is what happened at 1202. This is what happened at 135. This is what happened at 211. This is what was going on in the White House. This is what going on in the, you know, uh, this is what was going on in the portico of the Capitol. This is what was going on in the Senate chamber. This is what here, like all of that, and that it's like inarguable. That's the purpose of this, right? That is the reason to do it, is to establish the historical record without a question. But if the Democrats behave the way the Democrats have behaved in every confrontation they have had with Republicans in the last three years, they are going to muff this. They are going to screw it up. They are going to mishandle it. And they are going to create worse uh, you know, a worse situation in our civil culture now. Okay, but but can I say one thing? The, the 9-11 Commission, which has been, you know, held up, I think, correctly as a model for what this would want to, you know, the kind of tone and, and, and procedures it would take, was also used after many times for partisan purposes, right? Republicans pointed to the fact that, you know, the Clinton administration had overlooked an important memo about al-Qaeda, and then other people pointed to like, look, look at all the things that the, that Bush didn't do right. I mean, it will, regardless, it's going to be used for partisan political purposes. There's no way of avoiding that. But I think it's, I think it really is necessary to have that historical record because right now in real time, we can watch a, a fantasy world about what actually happened being created on social media among extreme partisans on, on the right. It's very bad for this country not to have some sort of bipartisan effort to understand what went on. It will be used by both sides to try to excuse behavior or to make a political point. That's that's unavoidable. But I still think it's necessary to have some sort of bipartisan effort to understand what happened that day, just minute by minute, as you say, and particularly to Noah's point, what the president knew. And if he if we can't get to the bottom of that, at least that can be on the official record. Like we don't really know what happened there. <clears throat> but the notion here that you're going to get ten Republicans in the Senate to to defy Mitch McConnell, well, yeah, sort of yeah. is unlikely. McConnell's a better steward of his, his conference than, than the unruly House. So the most likely outcome here is Republicans in the Senate will kill it. And that's going to be political. And you want to talk about politics. That's a better outcome from a political perspective for Democrats than an investigation. First of all, I don't know that you can say that about McConnell. And second of all, the House can go ahead and do it on its own. It doesn't need the Senate. Well, they can set, they can establish a select committee if they want to. Um, but I mean, talk about a, a fiasco. That would that would be the, the extremely political and wouldn't get any information, and it would only be to you know to highlight these tensions and to to make a to try to make November twenty two a referendum on January six. Well, we'll see. We shall see. And so Republicans are better off doing this. They're better off what opposing it, trying to kill it. You mean? No, supporting it so they can have at least some input on the the, the direction, the trajectory in which it, it goes. Well, I guess the answer would be like, we are not going to participate in your effort to discredit our entire party. 
that's you know we're not we're not playing along. I'm not saying that this is good or bad. I'm just talking about this as a political matter. Um, and and you know we can see how first of all, uh, there's one there's one sense in which uh, this is a slow acting poison for Trump and his political prospects in the future. When you remind people about what happened, they don't like it. You know, I mean that that's that's the thing. Like re- Republican, like committed Republicans will excuse it away and they will say this being used against him and he was great president and blah, 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 all that. That's not the issue here. The issue is where's the Republican party in the next election and the, and the election after that, where where is it going to stand? If suburbanites are reminded of the fact that Republicans stood with insurrectionists, there will be a hundred, there will be hundreds of millions of dollars of commercial time bought and, you know, face Facebook and, However, you can do it to remind people of this. Uh, that is an ongoing wound to the party with the very people that it needs to vote for it. Because if Donald Trump or whoever follows in Trump's path gets exactly the same number of people to vote for him, both in 2016 and 2020, as he did this time, and Democrats can gin up the same votes that they got, he is not, whoever's going to follow him isn't going to win. And that's the best that he can do under those circumstances. And in fact, it, it can be degraded. It can be vastly. I mean, imagine if uh, January 6th had happened on October 22nd. Do you think Trump would have gotten 74 million votes? You know, there's no way on earth he would have gotten 74 million votes. He would have gotten 70, not that they would have gone and voted for Biden. Three, four million people would have stayed home saying, eh, I don't know, it's enough already, right? So... That's what the next election, I mean, not, I don't think the congressional election, but the 2024 election, if Trump runs again, I don't see any reason to think he's not going to run again, unless he gets indicted, you know, or unless he's convicted of a crime. And obviously we know that the, uh, now both the New York attorney general and the, uh, and the, uh, you know, are now investigating this as a, investigating the Trump organization as a criminal matter. Got to see what happens. And guys, Speaking as your boss, I have to tell you something, okay? When running a business, HR issues can kill you. You people can kill me. You can kill me with your HR issues. You can kill me. Wrongful termination suits, not that any of you is getting terminated. Minimum wage requirements, not that any of you has paid the minimum wage. Labor regulations, you do live under labor regulations. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi, B-A-M to the B-E-E dot com slash commentary. Uh, what else we got to talk about? Uh, Nord Stream. Uh, so uh, there's a pipeline that Russia has been trying to build to um, 
bypass Ukraine. Um, and um, so what, uh, Noah, please, let's talk Nord Stream. Okay, sure. This is really kind of weird. Um, <clears throat> so Joe Biden in 2016 goes to Stockholm, says the Nord Stream pipeline is a bad idea. Trump administration spent the entire administration um, really hectoring and, and being aggressive towards Germany, which is one of the recipients of uh, this pipeline. Um, saying, this is you know, a pipeline just, to carry gas from Russia to gas Europe. Gas from Russia to Europe. We give gas from yeah. the Baltics. Uh, we give Gazprom a fair amount of leverage over European energy. The Trump administration opposed it, sought to offset the, the uh, energy demands in Europe by exporting natural gas to Europe. Um, Biden, Obama administration opposed it. Biden said it was a bad deal. Um, Biden administration has been signaling to European companies that they would face sanctions um, in the event of uh, the completion of Nord Stream 2. Jen Psaki just a couple of weeks ago said the administration's position hasn't changed on Nord Stream. And then this week, all of a sudden, the administration reversed course, did a total 180 and uh, waived sanctions uh, for the construction of this pipeline. Um, it's really strange. And it just sort of reinforces something that I've been writing about for the blog for, for quite some time now, uh, which is that Democrats were never Russia hawks. They were simply anti-Trump, and, and which is obviously the case if anybody's been following Democratic politics for the last several decades. Uh, and this is more of an indication that any and every effort to uh, couple Donald Trump with Russia and say this is a threat to our national security was only ever political. Um, I just want to add two things to that. One is that uh, Biden, of course, killed the Keystone Pipeline in uh, uh, the U.S. Um, wh while while okaying this, and the other is that <laughs> that's a very good point. And the the, the other is that um, this was one of the very rare instances where Donald Trump himself, the man, um, was critical of Germany. Um, uh, 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 giving um, uh, Russia leverage here, not just uh, Russian Russia hawks in his administration, um, but uh, Trump directly um, hectored uh, uh, Germany over this um, as a kind of a tool when when he was trying to make the case that uh, the U.S. Um, is paying too much in in in, uh, in defense aid to to Europe. Um, Trump was saying, well, well, well you're, you're, uh, you're asking for protection from Russia, yet you're, you're giving them this um, extraordinary leverage. I mean, the, I think there's an interesting internal dynamic going on here. So Biden opposed it and uh, something's happened. Um, uh, Tony Blinken, uh, in his confirmation hearing, uh, said he would do everything in his power to prevent the Nordstrom 2 uh, pipeline from coming online. Uh, and uh, now apparently our, 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 our position is that we are not going to sanction the pipeline exactly. We're, we may sanction companies that do business to build the pipeline, but the pipeline itself is legitimate, which seems to be a demented position. If I'm following correctly, this is a very twisted story. But politically, it is time to start asking what – Tony Blinken's influences in the Biden administration, because this is the second time 
that he seems to have his knees cut out from under him. He's you say in your confirmation, I'll do everything in my power to prevent something. And five months later, you're essentially party to its um, implementation. That's a kind of big flip. And it's very discomforting. At some point, he has to go testify before the House and Senate committees. And uh, people are going to ask him about this and hold him to account for what he said. And this follows along the fact that uh, Biden apparently neglected to inform him that Biden had gotten briefing materials from Bibi Netanyahu on the on the Israeli attack on the building that housed AP and Al Jazeera and how it was actually a Hamas intelligence site because Blinken said, we haven't seen the intelligence. And then like 10 hours later, you had to say, yeah, we've seen the intelligence. Um, He's the secretary of state. Like this is, uh, there, there is always a question at the beginning of administrations about who holds the power in foreign policy. Um, you have a very powerful secretaries of state. Colin Powell was one. Condi Rice was one. James Baker was one. You have very, very weak secretaries of state. William Rogers, who, uh, who was secretary of state for Nixon uh, when Kissinger was consolidating his power in the Nixon White House, was a very weak secretary of state. Cyrus Vance was a weak secretary of state. William Christopher, Warren Christopher, was a weak secretary of state. Um, and obviously Trump's secretaries of state and to, or, you know, Rex Tillerson was an unbelievably weak secretary of state. And here we have Blinken and is Blinken, you know, like the second coming of William Rogers. This is not, you know, this is a very weird position that, that, that we're a weird position that we're seeing him put himself in. That's just a political matter. It's not about the geopolitics of the, of the, of the gas pipeline. Um, Something happened, obviously. Um, And it's also this question of whether or not Biden himself uh, is more like Trump than we realize in that he has conversations with, you know, his friend. He has has a conversation with Merkel and he says, "Okay, honey, uh, you know, whatever you want. And then U.S. policy is sort of flipped on its head. Okay, but can I just point out that when that happened and it did happen for four years under Trump, it was weeks and weeks of stories spinning, in many cases, conspiracy theories of the of the most bizarre sort about why it happened, when it happened, who made sure it happened. It was at least covered. This is just like, oh, okie dokie. We just totally switched the policy. Moving on. I mean, there's, there's really no, there's absolute assumption of good intentions on the part of the Biden administration when these things happen and no further exploration of, of what we've all just said right now, which is, Huh, this is weird. How, why did this happen? Well, will we ever find out? Likely not if the coverage the media has been giving the administration continues. Fair enough. So, with that, we will uh, wave a fond farewell until tomorrow. Again, go to commentarymagazine.com, read our June issue. If you don't subscribe, subscribe now. You know you should. It not only supports the magazine and our articles, it supports this podcast. You listen if you like it, and you listen and you missed us yesterday, and we won't, you know, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Please subscribe, read the magazine. The magazine is actually the glory of this institution. Uh, we, love, we love doing the podcast, and we're very, you know, we, we love talking to you every day. Um, but our, our, our enduring quality, the thing that sells us, the thing that is, that is the heart and soul of this uh, 75 year old institution is uh, more than 75 years old now, is Commentary Magazine, June issue, right up now at commentarymagazine.com. So for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.